Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught offside from a basement in the suburbs of New York in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney, we have our final! Yes, ma'am, we do. And it's so exciting that we have this. But we had a Bill O'Reilly moment tonight. Let's be honest about it. Oh, you're just diving right in, aren't you? I'm sorry. Something went wrong during a segment we were recording, and it was just so frustrating. And now we have to get the energy up to talk about this final. Someday we'll tell the listeners, right? Well, I mean, you've gone this far. We, look, we this podcast, we pride ourselves on on transparency. So and accountability. Why stop, why stop now? Accountability. I don't know who to hold accountable for this. Yeah. Do you want to say it? Because I can't bring myself to even utter no, the we word. Had, we had an amazing guest. Kate Abdo just got off of an entire day of working, got back super late, um, and agreed to to come on and talk about the Champions League and, and her, the new gig with CBS. And it was incredibly generous of her to give her time uh, at like midnight local time after a full day of work. And it was great stuff. And uh, when we stopped the interview and went to like, there's the way this works, not to go too inside, but like there's files of each person's recording. Her file was gone. Like it never happened. Like we were speaking to a ghost. I don't know where it is. I don't know who or what programmer is is to blame, but somebody's going to be held accountable with their job. And we do wield that power. What's, what's that film? The Fifth Element? Is it what? What's the one where that the is, that's a movie? I, I've never seen it. Yeah. What? What's the one where? Is it the Fifth Element? No, it's not. What's the one where the boy wasn't there at all? The that's Sixth not, Sense. Oh, the Sixth Sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, it's been one of those evenings. Oh, uh, we've so looked, mad. I'm so mad, and, and it's a shame because, like, I think about now, JJ. Remember last year, not at this time, but this podcast a year ago, our Champions League final preview podcast remember like how it was liverpool and tottenham how excited we were oh it was so fun and like look how low we are right now that we just I know an interview that that everybody would have enjoyed i know and, uh, and we're and we're angry about it and and just just to preference the i reference bill o'reilly because that's that famous thing when he was doing i can't remember what the name of the show was it was local uh, news i think when he was a local news anchor no i think it was bigger than that and no no you're wrong well, whatever. And someone kept recording. We'll do it live. Yeah. We'll do it live. And he loses it. That was Andrew with me. I got scared. Uh, I, I would never take that tone with you. No. Oh, I'm so annoyed. Okay, come on. Let's get the energy up. This is going to be a great final. You you had a tone with me today, though, and I couldn't believe the nerve of you. I mean, I, I, I'm going back in my text messages right now because you and I, we were watching the game, obviously, this afternoon. Not together. Um, we're socially distanced of course but um so I, I texted you after i think it was after the first or the second goal and you snapped back at me um something to the effect of you're uh, you're a few ticks ahead don't you dare do that again because i guess i texted you before you had a chance to see it and i thought with all the times this guy has knowingly spoiled games that I had DVR'd and told him I DVR'd. Now he's going to snap at me because I referenced a goal happening seconds before it did without me even knowing that this was an issue for him. You've got some nerve. Let me tell you something. I was so engrossed in Leon's brilliant 
start to the game. And, you know, I was kind of rooting for the upset in this one. Leon hit the post and within, I think, a minute or 90 seconds or not very long, Serge Gnabry just does something that was absolutely unbelievable and rifles one home a la Arian Robin. And as he's making the run, you text, oh, wow. And it just ruined the moment for me. And I don't care what I've done in the past. The past is the past, Andrew. It's over. It's right now. You hurt me today. You hurt my viewing. I hurt you. You got some nerve saying that, snapping back at me. Uh, fun game, though. And it's funny, JJ, because so these two semifinals, um, look, they both obviously lacked uh, anything even remotely close to the drama that we got in all of the quarterfinal matchups. Um, but it's funny how like a 3-0 can be so different as what these two three nils were. Andrew, you're so right. These were these were games that had starts that were sliding doors moments. Maybe more so in today's game than PSG and Leipzig, but there were certainly these points in the game where you see what uh that that old adage about soccer, you know, I know goals win games and all that, but it's moments. It's really a game of of these little moments and you wonder particularly today if Leon had got taken one of those chances they had early on within the first 15 minutes, what kind of game it would have been? What would have Bayern Munich's reaction have been? Now, look, Bayern Munich are a well-oiled, well-drilled machine under Hansi Flick. They, they would have absolutely bombarded Leon. Could Leon have held out? I don't know. But it would have been a much different game. Well, look, Leon beat Manchester City when Manchester City was bombarding them. So who knows? Um, but and, and it's it's just a shame because watching it, like I think I speaking of text exchanges between you and I, I think I, I even wrote to you something to the effect of like you just know these squandered opportunities in the first five minutes of that game for Leon were going to come back to bite them. Now you didn't realize how quickly that was going to happen, uh, but like it's Leon against Bayern Munich, and for that to go the way of the underdog, everything's got to go right. Like these, these are like Memphis Depay rounding the keeper early. Oh God! I, I know it's a tough angle, but he's great, and we kind of come to expect great players in these moments to convert those chances. I feel terrible for him. I'm sure he's sick over it. Um, but you, like you saw that go painfully wide, and you just thought, oh, like oh, they, you can't, you just can't do that against Bayern Munich in a Champions League semifinal. Andrew, that we should break down what happened there in a little bit of detail because that has haunted me. That is my abiding memory of the entire 90 minutes of that game outside of Serge Gnabry's piece of brilliance, which opened opened up the, not the floodgates, but it opened up the game for, for Bayern Munich. That was exactly the prototype that Leon were working off to try and break down the same way they broke down City, the same way they wanted to break down Bayern Munich. They were going to be five at the back, they were going to be compact, and they were going to look just when Munich would get inside their half, they would press and look to intercept, win the ball, and go on the break. Like, could that move have been drawn up any better, any better by the manager? Really couldn't have. One thing I noticed on the replay, and even during the uh, the move itself, Depay is in, Andrew, and I think he's got to take it early. I think he's got to lift it. Just clip it. Put enough pace on it. Or carry it a little bit and hit it earlier. But what happens is 
everything goes wrong for him in the sense that his body shape is off. His head is down. I think it was Jamie Carragher noticed that. And he keeps pushing it wider and wider and wider. And he doesn't really have a full sense when he strikes the ball of where the goal is. And I know it's narrowly wide, but Manuel Neuer has done a brilliant job too. Because of the high line that Bayern Munich play, he's always that little bit high. And that cuts off an angle straight away. So when Depay gets it, he sees Neuer not very far away. And he doesn't, you said he goes around him. He really doesn't. And Neuer doesn't go to ground. Neuer is brilliant. That is a brilliant piece of goalkeeping without actually touching the ball. But for me, Andrew, and I know it's it's asking some delicate skills. He's got to hit that early. I think he's got to get his head up and realize Neuer is playing high, hit the ball, try and lift it over him. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not going to fight with you on that. Um, in the end, the results, are, the results are the results. He missed. The only thing I'll say is he, he did enough to essentially give himself an open net opportunity. Uh, and he just, it's, I'm not saying it's an easy shot and, and it's a difficult angle, but like he did, it's, it felt like he did the hard part. I, but anyway, yeah, I, yeah. Well, we don't need to go over this, but I, I do think what Neuer did, staying on his feet, staying close, right to the very end, closed the angle so much. It, it's for me, it's a brilliant piece of goalkeeping. Yeah, it, look, it was an enthralling game, and that's why I say two, three nils um, that we saw here. They are not created equally um, because this game was open. There were clear opportunities for both sides. Leon too. Um, all throughout, but in the end, it is Bayern who prevailed. They're gonna. Uh, they're now into the final for the sixth time. Uh, a little bit of. I, I don't have the music, but you want. I have a, a trivia question for you. If you'd like to tell me who that ties for the most um, in the Champions League era, sixth appearance in a final. I mean, Real Madrid. Uh huh. And two others. Six appearances. Real Madrid, Juventus. Yep. Oh, who am I missing out? Real Madrid, Juventus, uh, not Manchester United. No. Real Madrid, Juventus, not Borussia Dortmund. No. There's someone. Oh, AC Milan. There you go. I knew you'd get God, there. that was so obvious. What an idiot. I know. They've played your team twice. Uh, Bayern Munich, they're 10-0 and in the competition up to this point. It's unbelievable. Um, they had lost their four previous semifinal appearances, as has been well documented, but not the case today. And, you know, let's go through, we're, we're talking so much about Lyon and their misfortune, but Bayern, as we have said, all throughout this competition, uh, and as I lived with the Tottenham match against Bayern, they are ruthless. They are utterly ruthless. They will keep coming. Uh, and that was the case. Lyon make that mistake. And then minutes later, it's Gnabry just taking it and scoring one of the goals of the tournament. Yeah, and even when they're not rootless, they are rootless. Even when Robert Lewandowski falls on the ball three yards out, Serge Gnabry's following up. Right. It just felt that after the Gnabry goal, where he runs at the heart of the Leon defense, after that, Andrew, that kind of that compactness, that that sense of organization and purpose just went away a little bit, and you felt. I know they had chances. They did not give up. They in that. stayed in the game, JJ. They the game did. did not change that much. No, they, they did stay in the game, but I felt, I just felt it was gone. And I still felt there was another goal in it for, for Munich. I, it, it just seemed more inevitable. It just, it just felt that they needed to go ahead and have something to hold on to. I, that's what I felt like. 
No, I get what you're saying, but I, I was going to say that I give Leon credit because I, I felt like their spirit remained up. Like that could have been a truly demoralizing blow. They just had this opportunity that that went wayward for them, and then Byron come right back and score a goal like that. And that that could have, like you said, it could have opened the floodgates. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, Byron got two more, but it didn't. Like Leon, I felt like they remained they remained in the game. They had unbelievable chances. Uh, after that, they could have easily scored more goals. As no, you're right. Um, so it was it was fascinating in that way. The Gnabry story. I was going to talk about him a little bit more, but while we're talking about him now, his story is unbelievable. <laughs> to see this guy who five years ago couldn't really get a game for West Brom, uh, a guy who Arsenal sold for five million. Yeah, and, and you know it's it's something that I've really come to respect about. Bayern Munich and the way they run their operations specifically, because like, think of what we were talking about a couple days ago on that podcast. We're talking about Barcelona refusing to give Alfonso Davies a chance because he's Canadian. Bayern Munich don't care. Like if you can play, they will find out and they will, they will give you an honest chance. Serge Gnabry couldn't play at West Brom, but somebody at Bayern saw something. They gave him an honest chance and look what he, look how he's rewarded them for it. Yeah. For me, and again, it seems as if there has to be the obligatory mention when Serge Gnabry is talked about of Tony Pulis. But I can't let Pulis get away with the comments that were made when he was asked about Gnabry and they're they're quoted in The Athletic. Andrew, he said he didn't play Gnabry enough or very much or at all in many instances because he was an academy player. And is that really good enough for the Premier League? Is that the experience you need? Sorry, Tony, how do you get experience as a young player? How did Michael Owen get experience? How did anybody get experience? You have to give people a chance, an opportunity. And um, it was interesting tonight, Jamie Carragher talked about how there's a, often in English football, certainly when he was playing, there was something of a rush to judgment about players. Jamie Carragher used to say, oh, after like two two training sessions or something like that, I'd know if he was a player or not. And he, he thought, well, maybe that's not the right approach. Maybe you need to give players longer to settle in. Uh, Roberto Martinez said, well, that's true as well. Also, what about you know their personality, their, their, their home life? All those factors need to be considered. And Serge Gnabry is, without question, when we do a league table of those that got away, he's right up there at the top in terms of two managers passing on him. What a good idea. Like if we we should create like that team. Oh, the the ones that got away team. Yeah. I mean, like does De Bruyne count from his first go and like Mo Salah, like do they count from like Chelsea letting them get away but then them coming back? Considering what they've done since, absolutely. All right. Oh, that's that's just brilliant. I love the idea. Um one thing also, um we're talking about Serge Gnabry, that's nine goals in nine Champions League matches for him, 23 goals in 45 com- in forty five matches this season in all, across all competitions for Bayern Munich. Um, so it, it's an, I mean, I don't know. We'll see if he gets labeled with that one-year wonder moniker like we saw with Harry Kane, but I don't think that's the case. I've seen enough. I'm, I'm convinced this guy is like, he's, he's a legit star. Hey, and and I also want to do a mea culpa because I'm pretty sure if we went back to the tapes after Liverpool played Hoffenheim that time, um, I think it was, was it at the start of last season or the season before? Whatever. I, I, when, when Gnabry was, was there, I, I made comments because uh, he missed a lot of chances in that game. And, and those comments were, 
were based on one game. They're ill-informed. I should have looked at the data. And I apologize because I'm a bigger man. No, you're a fool. And you know what else you should apologize for? What's that? You you mentioned a name of a player uh, a few moments ago, and I I don't like what you referred to him as. Go on. You referred to him as as his given birth name. But I only know Robert Lewandowski as one name now. Robert Lewandowski. Ah, that's the guy I'm talking about. Did you see the tweet today? Um, someone put a picture on Twitter, just a screen grab of of um, Thomas Mueller go, you know, doing the comedian ah huh? ah huh? kind of face. Am I right? <laughs> and under and on top of it, she wrote, "Oh God, why didn't I say?" Um, we call him Serge um, Goldberry. I mean, honestly, it's every bit as bad. As the Lewandowski joke, his goal that uh, so Lewandowski now has scored in every uh, Champions League match this season for Bayern Munich. It's unbelievable what he's done. Um, yeah, we in Bayern we have uh, Robert Levan Lewandowski. You know Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> and the way he tapped the table, like, am I right? He's so proud. He's so <laughs> proud of his, his comedic genius. What a goal that he scored today, though. I mean, the game was pretty much decided at that point, 88th minute. But, like, how high up does he get to score that goal? What an unbelievable player. And, again, again, we've. I'm not saying this is a thing, but maybe, maybe it is a thing. Are we seeing, at the moment, a golden era, and I say golden era, based on two players I'm thinking of right now, of top class strikers who appear to be getting better as they go as they get older and into their thirties. Obama Yang, Lewandowski. I feel like Lewandowski's getting fitter, he's getting stronger, his movements even better. Or maybe he was always great. Well, he was. I mean, yes. he was great with Borussia Dortmund. Sure. Um, you know, so I, I, I can't. I wouldn't necessarily refute that. At the very least, I would say. Well, you know what? No, you're right. Because like, if there was a Ballon d'Or this year, he was probably going to be the winner of it. So it's not anything he's achieved before. Uh, so yeah, maybe he is still improving as a player, which is which is scary to think because he's he's coming he's improving from a point that I didn't really know you could get much better than. Um, yeah, look, we've we've talked about Bayern ad nauseum since the Bundesliga restart. They're they're ridiculous, uh, and it's kind of fun as a neutral to watch this team right now just operate as this well-oiled machine that they are. Now, having said that, they're, they're not perfect. No, they are not. And they give up chances because of that high line, Andrew. And because they push those fullbacks on to such an extent. And, you know, we'll talk about it when we preview the final, that is going to be where we may see uh, our, our dear friend from North of the border do a lot more defending than he's had to do so far in this mini tournament. Yeah. And let's talk about that team that he's going to be defending against. And that is PSG. They pretty much roll over RB Leipzig three nil, the final there as well. Um, wound up being pretty easy for them. I was going to ask you if you ever felt like the outcome was, was in doubt. Um, yeah, I, I think there was the early period in the game, which I referenced at the top of the pod, where it felt like Leipzig were clicking into gear. Remember the super early Nkunku chance? Remember that? Where he just kind of snatched at it in the box. And then at 1-0 down, they went down the field. It was, it was probably their best move of the game, or the best move that I can I can remember from Leipzig, where uh, Lehmer 
cut it back to Paulson and he just kind of hit it into the the side, side net. net. Yeah. But I mean, I, they probably had a couple of half chances after that. That was the only real period where I thought they're all over this. They can they can really really push this this PSG team the whole way. Marquinhos's header from Angel Di Maria's delivery, I felt like, uh oh, here we go, because they'd started with the obligatory missed Neymar chance. <laughs> where, he just, where he just pokes it past. Well that, well, that is the warning shot now from PSG. Yeah, although this one I, I felt not quite as strongly about as I did in the his performance in the quarterfinals. This one was a little bit more difficult, uh, I think. The angle was tighter for sure. Yeah, um, but you know, I thought Angel Di Maria was phenomenal in this game. The ball that he played in for Marquinhos on that header, the goal he scored himself, and and you know, the Angel Di Maria goal. You know, we're talking before about. Uh, Leon and how you can't afford to waste opportunities when you're facing a team like Bayern Munich. Well, similarly, you know, like goalkeeper for RB Leipzig, horrible giveaway. Oh God. And then just like not a chance really for them to recover quickly enough. I mean, the, the play unfolded so quickly after the giveaway occurred. Okay, Next, you know, like, yeah. I mean, quickly into Neymar who just quick flick to Di Maria, who's got a, an easy, chance on net and he converts it it's just like the same sort of line of thinking these are just you know avoidable truly avoidable mistakes that you cannot make against a, a far superior opponent the the Neymar flick on that goal was just so beautiful it was lovely but the giveaway was so unnecessary and and honestly I don't know what your take on on the second goal um was Andrew sorry? Was it the third that, or the? That was the second. The first was the the Marquinhos header. The second, right. was Maria, and the third was the um, was it Neymar who converted what looked like an offside goal, but no, it was uh, Bernat. It was Bernat's right, header. Right. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. But even on that second one, the lead up to it, it, the keeper again is is poor because I think he should have claimed it. You know the the ball the first time the ball comes in and he makes the save that ball's right there way ahead of I think uh, was it Mbappe or whoever it was he could have got got down and dived on it he didn't then the defender comes out and falls over I don't think there's very much contact he gets up he's looking for a free kick all the while he's playing Bernat on the ball comes in and he just heads it home like Leipzig it was it, there was a, a a debate going on Twitter about experience and how Leipzig's youth gave them an edginess and a nerviness because they hadn't really been at this stage before. And the question was kind of raised was, don't you need a few more really experienced players mixed in to a youthful team like that for them to be very, very good? And maybe we saw that edginess a little bit last night. I certainly felt they were kind of naive. They did things with a a kind of a, a nervous disposition they they just weren't as smooth as they were in other games yeah and look you, the only way to gain experience is by playing in these types of games so uh if they manage to keep this side together i know obviously they've already lost timo Werner, but if you know if they keep Nkunku and and Poulsen, some of these players then you would think they'll be a force to reckon with moving forward we all look it's well documented the money that that has been poured into that club so certainly and can i just say andrew and and it's not because this is an American centered podcast or anything like that, but I felt Tyler Adams could have been introduced a little bit earlier because he did bring a certain energy to that midfield. He made a few interceptions. He got around, tried to make a few tackles. Like he could have at least tried to break up the rhythm that PSG were getting into. 
at the at the source of it, you know, like kind of pressing a few players. That energy maybe would have made it a bit closer. I thought it was a bit late to bring him in, but yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, I love the guy, but like, come on, PSG were uh, PSG I know. were winning that game. They, they, I know, Andrew. They, I know. Well, I, was, I'm making two, suggestions. It was, it was two 0 when he came on, right? Yes, so, I believe so. Yeah, I mean. Come on, what are, what are you doing? Um, look, this is, this is PSG, folks. Like they're healthy right now, and uh, you know I know what happened against Atalanta was you know they they pulled one out of the hat. But uh, this this final is on paper. This is this is brilliant stuff. Like honestly, what an what an awesome game I think we're in for here. Um, I'll tell you what. Let's you know what we'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back on the other side of it, we'll take a, a little bit deeper of a look into this final. Um, and get you set for it because it, it really should be a good one. We've also got a mailbag as well. Um, we're fighting through, JJ. We're fighting through. You're putting on a brave face. I'm proud of you. We're going to overcome this crushing, crushing disappointment. We'll do it live. <laughs> uh, uh, more caught offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, oh, back now. Caught offside. The Champions League final. JJ, we have it. Bayern Munich, PSG. Let's go through it now. Let's take a look at this. Uh, normally, it's funny. Like Normally, the semifinals happen, and then you've got weeks to digest it, and then we can go out and do our Champions League final preview podcast. But, oh, no, not this year. Not in this condensed new world order that we're living in. We're doing it all on the same podcast. Um, let's take a look now. I've got five questions here, basically, to, to kind of assess as we head into this game. I'm curious... Uh, for this first one here, of which club you think has more pressure on them in this final? I, I went with both, Andrew. Um, oh, Bernard. come on. Show me something. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I I would say, I would say both. Look, let me lay out both and maybe I'll, by the end of this thought, I'll come to a decision, but I couldn't separate them. Like, Bayern Munich are a club of such European tradition and of such money that, They've been, you know, it's probably, as Jamie Carragher said, they haven't won enough European Cups. And certainly, you know, of late, they've been, when was their last final? 2013. So they've been eclipsed in the winner's column by Liverpool. They're on five, Liverpool on six. They'll be desperate to add their sixth European Cup to that to that hall of theirs. At PSG, by the very nature of being a club whose main purpose, at least on the field, is to deliver the Champions League. I mean, it's a top... It's not really a toss-up. I think PSG are under more pressure because of the huge outlay of money on Neymar and Mbappe. And just the whole focus of the club is towards winning the Champions League. But let's be honest, Andrew, that's kind of the same thing where in Germany you have this dominant FC Hollywood for so many years now. So they've got to add one. Bayern have become that. Like I don't know if Bayern were always that in the way that PSG are like immediately but because but they have a rich they have a rich european tradition i know, you know. But, it, but it's just like because winning the league has become such old hat for yeah. Bayern, like so much of the of the excitement and enjoyment of that i feel like has been sucked away because it's so expected so what's like the next thing to turn to is this like that well okay you guys have proven time and time again you can win the league fine we don't care anymore do the next thing and this is the next thing um i, I actually think there's i get why you said that your answer was both because this this question was very difficult, I think. But I do say PSG mainly for what you just said. 
just the way that like this entire project and an experiment with how they've kind of been like developed overnight with the superstar team. Like it's all for this. Like they don't like league on titles and Coupe de France is like, that's, that's great. And like, it'd be embarrassing if they didn't win those things, but the whole thing is about winning the champions league. It's like, it's like what their existence is for. And now they're here. And you know, it's, I'm not going to sit here and say they're not like some other clubs uh, like Tottenham last year where they get here and we're like, well, they better win it now because who knows when they're going to be getting back. PSG have every chance in the world of being back in this spot again next season. But we see how these things have gone for them in the past. Injuries just affect this club every single year in hugely profound ways. And, you know, like right now, Neymar's happy, but will that be the case a few months from now? Like he can be he can be difficult with like this club and whether or not he wants to stay or go, it seems like all's good right now, but you just, I don't know. I, I think it's them. I think narrowly, I would say there's a little bit more pressure on them than Byron. Um, along those lines, I would ask you which player has the most pressure on them. I, I cannot say anyone other than Neymar. I, 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 I agree. I've tossed this, like take it from a reputational standpoint, just look at the gamble and it's no disrespect to the history of PSG. They are what they are. This was a huge gamble. He wants to be considered. He left Barcelona to be the main guy at PSG. He wants that accolade of being the best player in the world. He wants to be the outstanding footballer of his generation. You, you, can, you know that. And he went to PSG for all this money. And it's a huge gamble because nobody watches that league. That's a fact. That league is not an internationally watched league. I'm not disrespecting the league. It's just the way things are. And so if he, winning in France is all very well and good, he must deliver on the big stage. He must do that. And away from the shadow, 2015 was important. I thought he was an outstanding part oh, yeah. of, that, of that triumvirate. But he wants to be the senior partner in this amazing triumph. Also, from a Brazilian standpoint, I'm sure there was eyebrows raised in Brazil where playing for Barcelona, Real Madrid is the, is the absolute zenith of a footballer's career. And for him to move to PSG, there needs to be these rewards. The pressure on him is huge. He's been injured so consistently at the crucial moment in previous European uh, European Cup campaigns. And look at what happened in the last World Cup. Look at what happened in the previous World Cup. This is a guy who's f- fast approaching 30, and the trophies in terms of uh, individual accolades are not there, and he needs it. Well, in terms of individual accolades, I suppose, but it's just it's the funny thing about him, like, he does have a winning pedigree in that, like you said, he he was a key figure of that Barcelona side that's one of the best teams we've ever seen. Um, you know, he he was a key figure of the Confederations Cup team for Brazil. Um, you know, he's won league, you know, countless number of league championships for whatever that's for whatever value you place in that. But you're right though, like he he didn't want to be viewed and I'm not saying this was in his head, but like he didn't want to be Scottie Pippen. You know, he made this choice to, I want to be the guy who does it. And he could only do that in this competition or in various international competitions with Brazil. And you feel for him to a certain extent because like, 
just think of the moments that injuries have come and just sabotage these opportunities. Yeah. Like Brazil's World Cup, the one that they hosted, is only remembered for what happened against Germany. But like it's important to remember they were playing fairly well before that. He was clearly the best player on that team. He was having a sensational World Cup, and then he broke his back against Colombia. And then Germany happened, and that's what we remember from that tournament. You know, the last Copa America, Brazil went out and won that, and they did it without him because he got hurt right before that tournament started. We've talked about Neymar with previous Champions Leagues, how he's missed out on those because of injuries. Like, this is like the stars have aligned now. This is the moment where he can now put to bed all the talk about him that he can't, if he's the focal point of a team, they can't win. He can end all of that this Sunday. But but Andrew, even in his uh, and this is from I'm reading from a Talksport uh, article. Even in his play since the resumption of this Champions League, he has been a man on a mission. And I know he's missed chances that you would expect the greatest player in the world to score. But in his general play, he is showing this kind of this need to carry this team to victory. The Brazil international completed 16 successful dribbles, equaling the Champions League record set by Lionel Messi in 2008. Atalanta tried their best to kick him out of the game. Neymar also won nine fouls, more than any player in a single Champions League match this season. Like, I know he's a frustrating player, but you're not seeing the same kind of histrionics that we saw in a past Neymar on the field. You are seeing a more focused Neymar, I I think, anyway. I agree. And, you know, one thing that I hope, like, let's say they do go on and win. One thing that I hope we don't do, like the the Neymar haters out there, are they still going to be like, oh, well, that was that weird year? Like, I don't think, I don't think we would put an no, asterisk. No, I don't think so. I don't think we'd put an asterisk on this for any other club. And so I don't think it'd be fair to do it to him and PSG if they're to go on and win this too. Yeah, the asterisk at PSG has nothing to do with uh, the current uh, pandemic. Uh, let's see. Another question here, JJ. Which player from either of these teams has been your biggest breakout star so far? Are you going to allow me to do something a little bit clever here? Sure. Before you do that, let me just say this is where I was going to talk all about Serge Gnabry, but we pretty much already did that. So I'm just going to say that that's who I would have said. That's fair. Um, I, I, I still believe, and I think he broke out before this, but I believe Alfonso Davies, has, I think he's come to an English audience <laughs> Yet again, I think it's been hammered home how good he is. That for me personally, you know, like even if I was to go by the metric of how many emails, comments on Instagram, comments on Twitter, we've got, is he now the best left back in the world? You know, he's absolutely vital to what Bayern Munich do. He is so quick. He's so skillful. Andrew, he's just kind of, if there was even a shred of doubt about what you've seen previously in this season, in this mini tournament, he's hammered at home. What he did to Semedo will li- live long in the memory. I know Semedo didn't cover himself in glory, but still, I-, I think it's been reinforced in people's minds just how good he is after the break that we've had for the pandemic. Can I Can I probably break the rules here? Yeah, go ahead. Breakout star, re-breakout star, Angel Di Maria. Hmm. Now I'm saying this when you when you put Di Maria into that team, into that forward line. Again, the French league is not a league that's watched regularly or vastly around the world. When you put him back into that team, like I thought he was magnificent, absolutely magnificent. And 
I think because he had a bad time at the at one of the biggest clubs in the world, we have this view of him that's probably not fair. And when he goes to France, we assume he's just good in France because it's France. It's not that good. Insert your your Twitter troll Farmers League wherever you want. I don't believe that to be the case. I think he's a brilliant player, an absolutely brilliant player, and we probably would appreciate him more if we saw more of him. And I, I do think the influence he had coming back into the side from his, from his subs, suspension for, from the quarterfinal has made a huge difference. I, I really do. You know what? You sold me. I think you're right. I agree with you, actually, about everything you said there. Um, by the way, I had, I had <laughs> one other... Dismissive. No, but I'm, I'm serious. This is just my tone. This is why it's hard for me to develop and cultivate relationships. People think I'm I'm dismissing them, but I, I you you made a great point. I think you're right. No, no, no. That Your tone, and I know your tones now, JJ, you're waffling, you're boring me. Move on. That's your no, tone. No, 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 no. That's I'm, the subtext to that comment, my friend. I'm riveted. Um, by the way... <laughs> By the way, I mentioned Serge Gnabry. I have another trivia question for you, a much more difficult one. Nine goals in nine Champions League games. Only uh, this player's 12 in for the 2012 uh, Bayern Munich team was more in the Champions League or in the uh, Champions League play. Uh, 2009 team. 2012 uh, team. Yeah, the, the Bayern. I think the Bayern team that went on and won it. Uh, it's not Muller, is it? No. Ooh. Oh, who am I forgetting? He started oh, for the national team as well. Uh, it's not Podolsky. No, it's Mario Gomez. Mario Gomez. Mario Gomez. Yeah, yeah, that's that one. Um, unbelievable that Canabri has done it. Uh, well, he hasn't reached the 12 that Gomez had. But like, remember, these were single legs uh, that he's like put these numbers up in. Uh, pretty incredible. All right. Um, and, by, and by the way, why yeah. am I why am I saying Podolsky? Podolsky was gone from Bayern Munich at that point. Yeah, it so, never. It didn't really happen for him there. I feel like no, such foolishness. He didn't. Uh, he didn't have right. a good time. Hey, look, you're trying, and that's all I can ask. No, but you know, Mario Gomez slips under the radar as well. I mean, a guy that a guy that had his prolific moments and had his own song as well. Well, it's weird because like he was. He was Bayern's striker on a Champions League team. He was like Germany's um, one of Germany's most. St- he was starting for the German national team, right? But like at no point, like he he had these prominent roles on like great international sides and great club sides. But at no point would would anybody have put him in like their top like twenty strikers in the world at any point? No, but he 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 just had purple patches in his career. Yeah. I guess so. Or as, as I remember it anyway. Um, all right, JJ, X Factor for the match. Um, the, the X Factor for me is actually going to be the wide players and the fullback positions. So if you look at the way that PSG are set up with Bernat and Kerrer, the two fullbacks, and then you look at the fullbacks for Bayern Munich, which will be Alfonso Davies and Pavard. So... Like I said earlier on, I feel like Alfonso Davis is probably going to have to do a lot more defending in this game because of the movement of um because of the movement of that front three of PSG. So is this going because they are so dangerous pulling off into the channels because of their movement, is this going to stifle 
what Alfonso Davies does? Is this going to take away something from that Bayern Munich attack? Or is it just a case when he goes forward, the defense slides, then you're going to have three at the back? It's going to be perfectly fine. You'll have players matched up. It also, part of this, that high line that Bayern, Bayern Munich play. I know it was early on in the Barcelona game. Balls in behind, into the channels. A couple of times, Alba got away, created attacks. Is that the same thing going to happen here? Can, can you be as high a line as Bayern Munich are against a team that is going to have the ball in dangerous areas and have great movement. That for me is the question. Like, is this one where Hansi Flick says, this is a final, we're going to tweak what we do ever so slightly and we're going to fall back maybe 10, 15 yards. I heard Jamie Carragher talk about this tonight. You know, or Mika Richards, excuse me, talk about this tonight. Do you have to tweak it somewhat? Because Andrew, that seems like a lot of space in behind. A lot of space for both Neymar and the pace of Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, and you and I are, are thinking pretty much along the same wavelength. I mean, you were talking fullbacks. I was going to move a little bit more inside uh, to central defense for both sides. But you're right, that high line that Byron play is such an X factor. Um, you know, and we did see, you know, Bar- like you said, Barcelona took advantage of it in, in a couple spurts. I mean, you could even say maybe that the own goal, uh, you know, Alaba was kind of back on his heels. Granted, it was kind of just like pure dumb luck. But, you know, still Byron were in a difficult position. We saw chances tonight. Um, in their match against Leon. So, you know, they're big names for both sides in central defense. Kimpembe, uh, Thiago Silva, Boateng, Alaba. Um, you know, we talk about that position. We were just talking about it the other day, that, like, when a mistake gets made by a player at that spot, it can be backbreaking, and it's why we focus so much on these guys. Um, these teams, like, we talked about Byron being ruthless. PSG are too. I mean, like you were talking about Di Maria, Neymar, Mbappe. Like that's an unbelievable front three. So who's going to make a mistake? Like if if you know if somebody makes one bad back pass, that could be it uh, in a game that we expect to be really really tight. So yeah, I would agree with you that uh, the way that these teams defend is kind of what it's what it's going to come down to in my mind. Uh, and with that, of course, yeah. Can I correct one thing I said? Yeah, yeah. They started with uh, with Joshua Kimmich in the fullback position. And then I think it was Pavard came on if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. So, I mean, that, that to me is, is a classic example of how Kimmich might start, might start there. And then when Davis goes forward, you kind of have a guy who can become part of a back three, which would mitigate against, you know, leaving open spaces or, or feeling like you're not covered well enough against the attack of PSG. But again, both of those fullbacks though, love to bomb forward. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I but, was with as an attacking player. Yeah, but it's like what I said before about Pep making the changes, saying, saying he had to go to three at the back. If you still play the four, you can still have that kind of safety net if one of the fullbacks goes forward. But I, I just, the overriding thing for me is there's just going to be so much space in behind Bayern Munich. It could be such, and, it could be so fun to watch. It really, the, it really could be. Uh, and with that prediction time, um, wow. I'm going to say, because I think overall, they're probably a more cohesive unit. I'm going to go with Bayern Munich. And I'm going to say it's going to be 3-2. Oh, oh my God. 
Come on. Three. Oh, that's what you have done. I have well, Rick Byron written down. We've jinxed it now because we said it's going to be a great game. Finals are rarely superb games. We've ruined it. It's over. Don't it, even bother watching. I, I know you're, you're, you're tongue in cheek saying that, but like it would be really out of character for this game, but for both of these teams, for this game to be dull. It's just not how these teams play. And and, right. and these teams are, are so brimming with confidence that I just, I don't know. I just can't imagine. Well, you know, I say that, but like, think about last year, like for however great Liverpool were, however potent their attack were, they got that goal in the first two minutes on the Sissoko handball on the penalty. And then they didn't like Liverpool kind of shut it down. So they, they altered their game. I guess teams can do it, but it would, it would really shock me with how good this Bayern and PSG teams are and, and what their focuses are in attack that I couldn't, I just can't see that happening to me. There's no way it's not a, an enthralling game, but that's, we, that's all we can do is hope. I'm, I'm excited anyway. I can't help it. And you know what I'm excited about? I believe, I believe this game is not behind the paywall. <sighs> bum, bum, bum. Now I don't believe that it's on regular. I do not think it's on regular CBS. I think this is a CBS Sports Network uh, vehicle. Oh, are you sure it's not going to be um, Jim Nance commentating? <laughs> like Tony Romo? And, uh, Jim, Jim and Nance. Evan Washburn on the sidelines? <laughs> Lewandowski on the ball. Do you know who else is on the ball tonight on CBS? <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that. Some sort of yeah. uh, young Sheldon. Yeah, yeah, that'll be the show. I was trying to think of a show. Young Sheldon returns. You know who else is returning to the lineup? Blah, blah, blah. Adresa Gay. <laughs> I like the classic Young Sheldon <laughs> uh, transition. Oh, no. Well, then that would be. He's a smart, clever player, Angel Di Maria. Speaking of smart and clever, Young Sheldon returns to the lineup tonight on CBS. Right. Followed by Survivor. <laughs> Speaking of Survivor, who will survive this competition? Oh, I love corny network transitions. Oh, they're perfect, but they're not suited to soccer, I don't think. Why? What makes soccer any different than what you see in any other sport? I I, I, I just don't associate plug-in your, your kind of terrible sitcom in the middle of the Champions League final. I'm sitting here now trying to think of a horribly created transition to move to our next subject, but... I have nothing. I'm not. I'm not bright. Andrew's being a bit of a bag tonight. Uh, speaking of bags, here's the mailbag. No, but I wasn't even going to go to that. I was going to just hit on a couple quick stories and then finish with the mailbag. Oh, I've ruined it. So now we've like butchered a, a transition that was already butchered. Oh, come on. We're, we, we're could just, never, we're, we could never work in network TV. If this was our audition. I mean, stop saying things like that. That's why we never get you, the chance. That's why. That and that alone is why. Our inability to craft cleverly orchestrated TV show sports crossover transitions. All right, here we go, JJ. Quick hits, Andrew. Let's go. Super quick. Just a, a couple of things on the home front back here in the United States. Speaking of on the home front, coming up tonight on CBS, <laughs> Madam Secretary. <laughs> uh, That's a good one. Um, let's see. I say on the home front. I'm actually now starting with a game that took place in Canada. But still, it's CONCACAF. Uh, Toronto FC, they took apart Vancouver 3-0. I I just wanted to mention this quickly because Toronto's, their tournament may have ended prematurely from what we thought they could do, but I still feel like they're in a really, they're in a potentially like a really good place for me to still consider them uh, among the top two, 
maybe I guess I'll stretch two or three in the Eastern Conference, especially because we don't really know the state of Atlanta United FC with their manager change. Um, you know, Io Canola had his breakout performance in the tournament, and now it's Pablo Piatti who scored a great, an amazing goal to open the scoring in this one. Then he got a second one. Josie Altidore's back healthy now. Uh, so, you know, a nice a nice return to action for them after a tournament that they have may, may have viewed to be a disappointment. Uh, also in MLS, Blaise Matuidi set to join Inter-Miami. Yes. So we thought David Silva, who we'll get to later, was going to be the guy that Inter would sign from European football, but it's not. It's a super experienced player in Blaise Matuidi. And maybe, Andrew, this is what they need to gel this whole thing together. Maybe. I guess uh, I guess only time will tell. Uh, let's see. Also, uh, JJ, Gio Reyna putting to bed any thought of him playing for England. I didn't even really know that this was something that we needed to be worried about. Evidently, Why? we didn't. I thought we wrapped this up last March. Well, he spoke uh, to Sam Borden. He said, I've played for the U.S. my whole life, and I've been in the youth national teams. My dad played for the U.S. So if I played for another country, it wouldn't feel right. USA is my home country. I'm an American kid. So, yeah, hopefully I can go into U.S. camp soon. I'm really excited to meet all those guys. Uh, he would have been in the camp uh, for these most recent matches that wound up getting canceled against Wales and what was the other one, the Netherlands? Uh, yeah. So like he would have, he's he's gonna. I'm not gonna say walk into the squad, but like he's he's so clearly just such a huge part of the future of this team. So um, yeah, I guess also, he, to hear this. Yeah, he also fails on the UK birthright front. Uh, this I'm reading from the Atlantic. Uh, because, you know, I'm very highbrow. Individuals born in the UK automatically become British citizens if at least one of their parents is a British national or is considered settled in the UK, such as having permanent residency. He does not meet those criteria. He would have to go to England, live there for a prescribed period of time or get married. That th- This was not an option. So, well, this, he, wasn't he born there? Yeah, he was. But I don't think he stayed long enough for him to to get the the citizenship that was needed neither of his parents could could give him that birthright citizenship i don't know how these things work um but at any rate whatever and and the future is still very bright for the u.s uh rose lavelle jj i wanted to mention making a move first to uh ol rain olympic rain um but then immediately from them to manchester city so rain the rain will have her uh her u.s rights should yes. she choose? They're taking a bit of a gamble, basically, because they gave up the first round pick, uh, a lot of uh, allocation money, um, knowing that she was not going to play for them. So they're basically betting on the fact that she'll return to play in the U.S., I guess, sometime in the next few years, which is feasible. Um, but she's instead going to Manchester City. And you see stuff like this and you start to wonder, you know, like women's soccer, the just as a as a brand, as an entity in the U.S., we've always kind of placed it on a higher plane than how maybe it's viewed in other countries around the world. Like it felt like the U.S. women were rock stars in this country long before yeah. U.S. men were. Um, but you're now starting to see the money being poured into European uh, women's soccer and the brand names of some of these clubs is now beginning to outweigh whatever prestige women's soccer holds in the U.S. Just like the brand of, uh, of you know, Manchester City now and like what they're what they've been able to achieve in the last decade or so on the men's side like it's made their women's side appealing to players too for for sure but it's also as well Andrew that you know these players want to play um and right now the the league in England is a is a, a likely landing spot particularly with the money Manchester City have 
and also with the fact that the NWSL season is over and is not coming back until 2021, as we understand. So people want to play now, and, and it's a career move. And to add to this, Meg Linehan, who is a great insider at The Athletic, she tweeted this this evening. Sources have confirmed talks are underway between Kristen Press and Tobin Heath with Manchester United. Deals are not completed yet, but looks promising for both sides, first reported by Dan Laletta. And we should say that Sam Mewis also just made the move to Manchester City as well. So they can hold on to their salary from the U.S. women's national team and whatever money they're going to be paid playing in England. I mean, it, it seems like a career necessity to do this right now, but it's, it's, it's I mean, it has to be damaging to NWSL. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Just after we finished recording the other day, Barcelona announced that Kike Setien was going to be uh, sacked as their manager, which we all knew was coming. Now we find out that Ronald Koeman um, is going to be his replacement. You like this move? I, I, I'm not sure, Andrew. I, I don't really like it. Um, there's, I, first of all, I don't think he's had the club career that suggests he can come in and fix something as seriously broken as Barcelona is right now. And also, his style in dismantling an aging squad, this is not the first time he's done this. He came in for a particularly fraught period at Valencia. And um, as Graham Hunter talks about in his piece today, it was a nasty, brutish and short, to coin a phrase, because although Koeman somehow galvanized the rest of the Valencia squad into winning the Copa del Rey, knocking out Barca along the way, his league form had them hovering above the relegation zone and he was sacked in April 2008, not quite six months after taking the, up the post. And he had gotten rid of some long-serving, as, uh, as Graham puts it, linchpin champion players. And he did it in a quite blunt and robust manner. And it didn't work there. He's dealing with megastars here. He needs to dismantle the team. I'm not sure he's the man either with the footballing nose to, to make Barcelona better or the, the almost chess piece maneuverings that is necessary to move on the players and still keep this thing ticking over. I'm not sure. Yeah. Club legend for them. Scored 106 goals in yep. six seasons. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. But um, I can't say he has the club record that suggests he's going to come in and do a great job there. Yeah, maybe not. I, I almost feel bad for him because like, who would be the guy where you would say that that guy is perfectly suited for this? I feel like, I feel like in a, it's weird to say this about Barcelona, a team that still has Lionel Messi and then finished second in La Liga only barely. Um, but like, I feel like they're broken. And so I, this job feels almost impossible for anybody. There could be a reasoning that he comes in as a club legend into the club. His stock is really high and he does a job that maybe he doesn't get to see the end of, but he gets rid of the aging players, creates the overhaul, is then removed. And it's kind of almost a landing spot for maybe a younger, more forward thinking manager that can come in. He's not old, but I mean, a manager that they see as the long term future of the club. Maybe he's just in there to be the bull in the china shop. Maybe. And then last but not least, uh, you referenced it before, David Silva signing for Real Sociedad, uh, but not without a bit of controversy. Lazio thought they were getting him. Um, who knows what sort of promises were made or weren't made. It seems like if, if, you, if you hear from Lazio, it sounds like they thought it was a done deal. But David Silva and his team say no promises were ever made to anybody. 
Uh, and so he goes to Real Sociedad instead. Yeah, and Igel Tare, the sporting director at Lazio, said this. I'll do Champions League voice for this. I've heard about David Silva's transfer to Real Sociedad. I have huge respect for the player, but not for the man. Ooh. Scathing. Very. Now, in fairness, um, Silva's father, Fernando Jimenez, defended the midfielder saying Lazio had only spoken to his agent and that the former Spain international had not committed. There were conversations with Lazio, just like there were with Real Sociedad or other teams. There was nothing finished, he told Radio America. So there you have it. Uh, there it is. Good signing for them, I would say, for Real Sociedad. Oh, yeah, very much Real so. Silva. Uh, all right, let's close out with a mailbag. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. Pod on Twitter. Caughtoffside ESPN on the Instagram. Please flood to those social media platforms and follow us. We're not good at social media, but please, please follow us. Eric Barnes, is France better at football than we give it credit for? <laughs> well, what a um, question. I mean, I assume he's talking about Ligue 1 because France as, yes. as an entity, like they're world cup champions. Like we know how great French are. They have an amazing history. Platini, Trezeguet, Henri, Deschamps. This question is difficult because I don't, I don't know the best way to gauge this. I'll tell you only that. I don't know what like measurement to use. Only one French club has ever won a European cup or a champions league. That's tied with Romania, Scotland, and Yugoslavia for seventh most. Um, and it's this is the seventh time that they've had a team in the final, which is also seventh most. That's not true, though. What's not? Monaco. Can we are we not considering Monaco as a French team? Oh no, you're right. They didn't, Sorry, Monaco, Monaco are finalists. No, right, they, they never won. They lost to Porto. That's right. That's um, right. So it's the seventh time. So it's just Marseille. Right. Mm. Uh, so. And like I, I even wonder if some of PSG's own recent struggles in this competition kind of lend credence to the idea of maybe <laughs> I feel like such a jerk, but like maybe we've kind of been right to view league on however it is that we view them on this day. I don't know. I, I don't I don't know the best measurement to gauge this with. I, I think the measurement of, of French football is the amount of players it produces that go on to play in the top leagues. I mean, they have an incredible record of sending players to foreign fields to play. The bottom line is they don't stay in France that long. Right. That would be that would be the thing for me. Also, you can't judge a league based on a knockout competition like this. It is possible to have results over 90 minutes in particular that do not reflect or have anything to do with the, the strength of the league that you play in. We've seen that when Porto won. Uh, what else? Um, Mark at Marky Mark United on Twitter. Did you all see Richie Sadler ethering, ethering PSG and Leipzig? And given what he said, are sentiments shared by likely a lot of fans? Why don't more pundits use their platform to talk about these issues? Um, so Richie Sadler was asked on the Champions League coverage of RTE in Ireland uh, last night, pre pregame to uh, to say in a few words, very quickly, why PSG and Leipzig are not well liked, and this is what he came up with in sixty seconds. Popular for for very understandable reasons. Um, I think one way of looking at Leipzig from abroad is you look in and think, you know, young manager, really energetic style of football, lovely story. They've come from nowhere in a very short period of time, but if you look at how they've done it, they've 
whatever word you want to use, have either sidestepped or trampled over the membership rules that are dealt uh, that are treated very seriously in German football. So, um, the the importance of fans having a voice in the club it's it's not considered here. So, um. Everyone in Germany is wishing them failure because if this model does well, you can think, well, who's going to follow them? It's basically a marketing strategy for a drinks brand. That's what this club exists as. Um, and PSG, far worse, is their run by regime, which faces allegation of anything from torturing journalists to imprisoning gay people, a host of other human rights abuses. So if you approach a game of football and see the results as a vindication or a validation of the behaviour of the owners or of the club, maybe this is not the game for you. So that was Richie Sadler. And he did all that in a minute. Why don't pundits talk about it, Andrew? We do. I was going to say, they don't. We're, we're, we're on any of the coverage on, have you heard any reservations or mention of the regime that owns... PSG or what's happened with RB Leipzig. We talk about it on our podcast. So I guess I would say, I guess this is me mounting a defense for people who don't, but like, I can only think that they believe that sometimes when people are watching a game, they kind of want the analysis of the game. Like we all, like who doesn't know about PSG at this point? Everyone kind of has... Uh, you know, RB Leipzig maybe is a diff- a little bit of a different story because that's kind of more a little bit more new and fresh in terms of like clubs that run that way. But like with PSG specifically, we all kind of know, and people I'm sure have their feelings on it. And so at a certain point, it's kind of like, well, maybe we just like analyze their games and and the way we analyze any other great club. Uh, so I, I don't know. I I don't really have a good answer as to why it's not covered enough or whatever your idea of enough even is. I think these are difficult waters to wade into as well on a, on TV coverage. I mean, Richie was asked a a specific question and he answered it in a minute. Um, I also think that a lot of people simply don't want to put the bad stuff to the front of their mind. They don't want to talk about these things. They don't, they just want the football. kind of like what you said. And, um, they don't look at the larger reasons for Qatar owning PSG, but we're facing a scenario where a country with such a questionable as kind human rights record may be the European champions and are almost certainly going to host a World Cup, Andrew. Like surely, you know, in this moment where we're talking about human rights, and rights for everybody. And Black Lives Matter is essentially a human rights movement. We're, to- we're all about this. And football has been all about this with gestures and badges and everything. By Sunday, we could have one of the champions of Europe being, a co- being owned by a country with a real problematic ish- uh, record on this issue. I mean, that's, that's got to matter. Okay. Which Premier League team would McKinney be a good fit with? Asked Chad Wiley. Well, he's been rumored to move that he that Southampton are interested in a move for him. And honestly, I, I kind of like it. He's going to fill a spot in that team. There's a, a sudden midfield vacancy there because of a move by Hoiberg to Tottenham. And he's going to be under a manager who is someone I like a lot. 
he will get game time. He won't be in European football, but maybe that doesn't matter. Uh, no, I, look, I just like you just said, I think it's just important he goes to a place where he's going to be playing regularly, where he's going to be a mainstay in the first team. Uh, reading here at ESPN FC, they say Southampton are one of several clubs interested in McKenney with Newcastle, Leicester City, Everton, Chelsea, and Tottenham all monitoring him in the last couple of months. Bundesliga rivals Hertha Berlin also chased his signature, but McKinney favors the move to the Premier League. Um, of those clubs, any one of them stand out to you above Southampton? I would say I would not. I don't know about Chelsea and Tottenham. Uh, I don't mean like I just don't know if he's going to be a consistent enough figure in in their first team plans. I I think. I think in a revamped Chelsea midfield, I could see it. But I'm not sure either. I kind of like Southampton as a landing spot, Andrew, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I mean, Everton were mentioned in there as well. And we mentioned them as as possibly being a good spot for him to go. Uh, Newcastle, I just don't know if I love their style of play. Like, I just, I don't know if it could just kind of be like, if it could stunt someone possibly i don't know he's not going to be on the ball very much if he's at newcastle he'll be chasing shadows in much the same fashion as he was for the last yeah. what was it 11 12 games of his schalke career and oftentimes for the us as well <laughs> yeah i i, I kind of like i kind of like that move for for uh, for mckinney to southampton and finally andrew oh no not finally second last uh, scott rasmussen Kian Fahey, don't know who that is, had a comparison between Damian Lillard and Stevie G. One team career, always up against more talented opposing teams, capable of the spectacular, but never considered the very best at his position. Big moment player, talisman. Thoughts are any or other NBA comparisons. That's all you, my friend. Man, I actually have not given this any. Do you even, do you even like the Damian Lillard, Steven Gerrard comparison? <laughs> There's... I don't know. I don't love it, but his reasoning kind of makes sense. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll go with that. I wish I had something better off the top of my head, but I got I got nothing. All right. Well, you've just left me swinging here because I know nothing of Damian Lillard's career. First of all, and I think it's pre- <laughs> uh, Damian Lillard. Um, Lillard. Yeah, the way you say it is just kind of funny to me. Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry, Andrew, that I Lillard. Have mis- you really that I've missed the lard. I don't know. Is, is, is he Cubby? No. Do you don't even you don't even know who he is? Is that what I'm to gather here? I've heard his name. I've never watched him play. Oh, okay. this is. I don't know what to say in a moment like this. He's he's unbelievable. I can't stop watching him play. He's like he honestly is probably my favorite player in the NBA right now. Yeah, and whether this was the case or not, capable of the spectacular, but never considered the very best at his position. I think Steven Gerrard was considered the best at his position or one of the best at his position. And I know there's people right now that say Damian Lillard may not only be the best at his position, but right now at this very moment, he might be the best player in the NBA. That might be a bit of a reach, but the way he's played over the last two weeks, it's almost, it's hard to debate. But anyway. And finally, Finn Eupner. I just listened to today's pod and the German segment had me in tears. My whole family is German and everything you said about German humor is spot on. There was actually a study done a while ago where they showed people of different nationalities, funny videos, and the Americans would laugh at one type of humor, Asians at another, etc., etc. But the Germans laughed at everything. 
I thought that was amazing. I also know the birthday dinner video. It is tradition in my family to watch it on New Year's Eve. It is called Dinner for One. Absolutely loving the pod. Keep them coming. Quite a few people got in touch. It's Dinner for One is the rather strange comedy where the waiter comes in and serves the old lady while always tripping over the same rug on the ground. <laughs> and that's it. Like, there's no... No, there's... The punchline is that she just continues to fall. I, I think the punchline is that there's, you know, she's living in this kind of fantasy world. But, uh, I mean, it does get the same reaction from me as... Yeah, we in Bayern, we have uh, Robert Levan, Lewandowski. You know, Robert Lewandowski. She doesn't have to work quite as hard for the laughs as uh, as dear old um, Well, like, like we said last time, it's because he had no live audience. Like we said, there may have been people all throughout Munich who, like, wet themselves. They found what <laughs> had to be so funny. Well, anyway, no. that's it. That, that's it. Look it up. Dinner for one. Oh, this was this was fun. Being able to uh, to break down these games and look ahead to the Champions League finals, it's always going to be fun, especially when you have a final that that on paper looks to be as great as this one's going to be. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday. I, I believe we'll have a podcast out after the game, so keep your eyes open for that. A nice little uh, Sunday evening taking you out of the weekend into your busy work week podcast. The show, the show that O'Reilly was on was Inside Edition, I just remembered. Oh, okay. And we've had our inside edition meltdown moment. But we handled it with a little more grace and dignity. We did. We did. I'm sad, Andrew. Don't be like that. It's all right. This was people, you know, what can you do? I don't know. What can you do? It sucks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I hope they enjoyed this podcast anyway. Let us know if you did. Cheer us up. Oh, man. You're really, now you're bringing me down. I'm sorry, bro. Well, let's just end this before this gets any lower. People should be oh, I, like, what a horrible way to end this podcast, a Champions League final preview edition. And I'm so excited for I'm so excited for the final. I can't wait to talk to you guys after the final about hopefully what was a great game. But right now, I feel the darkness of fear. All right, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Lewandowski? You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.